Okay, so today we're here. Amy, we connected actually through Instagram. Um, when people go on your uh, profile, they see meditation, healing, hypnosis, um, kind of a more of the spiritual kind of finding to yourself. So this will definitely be super interesting for me to go into. We're going to drink together the chamusume, um, the gyokuro. Uh, she already brewed it. Very beautiful, beautiful color. And I think we're going to just uh, maybe start off a little bit by a short introduction of yourself. Maybe you tell us, uh, you tell um, a little bit the audience so where, how you got a little bit more into this spiritual part and then really uh, drink the tea together and then we see where we go. That's great. Well, first, thanks so much. I really enjoyed our chat uh, the other day and um, such good tea. Really, really good. Um, I, my background is in education and psychology mm -hmm. and I formally taught high school English in the classroom mm -hmm. um, several years ago. And I am a mom of two and over the last, my son is 12, my daughter's eight. And over the course of their lives and becoming a mom and balancing um, just being a whole person and being a mom and being a wife and sort of all of the roles, um, I began to become very interested in working really closely with women to sort of protect um, a self-care practice, mm -hmm. to create a self-care practice, to create um, goals that are separate from their family goals, goals and, and projects and things that are sort of separate and different from what they might be doing at home. Because women typically, um, moms, no matter what kind of a mom you are, if you're a very, very busy working corporate mom or you're a homeschooling mom, no matter what kind of mom you are, it seems very typical that your heart is 100% invested at all times. And that can, even if you're professionally aligned and you're, and you're, you know, really killing it and just out there making a name for yourself, doing all kinds of great things, there can be these emotional pulls that that struggles that that come along with motherhood and balancing everything along with it and that's sort of where I feel like it, I can help mm. is to um, help women create space for themselves so that they can um, you know relieve stress have healthy ways to express themselves um, with other women and other moms and just nurturing that side of themselves that is very, um, you know, that, that loves to mother others and um, turning that sort of towards ourselves and finding that time. And I think that women are, are really aware of that. I think we always have been, but especially right now, but it's almost like going to the gym mm. or, or anything else that we're certainly aware that we should be exercising or taking walks or being active, but we don't always do what we know we should do. So even though women have been given permission, I think in a lot of ways to take care of themselves, to make time for themselves, 
sometimes you need someone, I know I sometimes need someone to step in and sort of nudge me into um, a self-care practice or, you know, it, teach me rituals, things to incorporate into my life mm -hmm. that are um, nurturing and kind of facilitate that personal growth and development. Was there for yourself? Because before you were a teacher, and I think most often when you kind of make a transition in your life, it's kind of a, there is a certain moment triggering something. Is there kind of a, a trigger moment for you where you kind of said, okay, I'm going to stop here and I need something completely different? Or was it more kind of a slow transition into it and then you kind of found your way and said wow this is actually what I like to do much more than what I'm doing at the moment. For me I think it, it came out of personal experience that was in, a, in part sort of gradual and then the wake-up call was abrupt so it, the gradual part was um becoming a mom, not being prepared for it emotionally, mm -hmm. which I, I thought that I was. Um, but I think for so many moms, the demands, just the sleep deprivation and the time that's involved and for, and for so many moms being sort of, you know, often isolated or raising a family and, you know, without a sort of strong community support system. Just slowly over the years, I began to feel very, very depleted, but it's not always something that you recognize is happening because you're fulfilled in other ways and you're giving and you're wanting to give to you. I didn't recognize that it was happening until um, we, my family moved from Northern California up in the Bay Area near San Francisco to Los Angeles uh, five years ago. For my, my husband was, uh, started law school in the evening program at Loyola. So we relocated to LA with a very, very different pace. Uh, we've been living in Santa Cruz, which is a very coastal, sleepy surf town. Um, very small, very sort of insular in a lot of ways. And so we moved to LA and the pace was, for me, it was noticeably different and uh, everything just sped up. And it got to a certain point where um, I was just having a hard time getting out of bed every day. And I kind of couldn't, at the time I was drinking coffee and my husband would just go out to a coffee shop and set a coffee by my bed to basically be like, wake up, you know, without saying that, um, to get me like up, we need the kids, we need lunch, we need breakfast, we need kids going to school. And I just, I remember a few, several times just kind of seeing my son just getting in the car with my husband to go, my daughter was still at home, um, you know, just like he was, I guess, eating the cafeteria lunches at school. And I would just be in my pajamas saying a quick goodbye to him. And I knew that, that that wasn't sort of the plan, you know, that wasn't kind of what I had in mind for, for us, just this feeling like I was just waking up in a whirlwind every day. And so it was not long after that, um, I went to see a shaman with my family because I just, I wanted to, I wanted a big change and I knew that I needed help, but I didn't mm -hmm. know, I didn't know where to look. So I just, it, it seemed interesting 
Um, I'd always been sort of interested in, in you know, shamans and spirituality, but hadn't really gotten too close. Um, so I felt like this was the time, the time for something big. So um, we met with Shaman, Shaman Durek and he immediately looked at me and said, um, I mean, I mean, immediately said, you're not living your truth. And he, and I, I, I think he even, you know, pointed, it was not an accusation, but it was very strong. It was very much like wake up. And, and I, I did, I, we had, we kind of went through a big session with him and the whole family got to kind of, you know, talk to him and, and it was a, it was a, it was a great experience. He's, he's just such, he is um, a really powerful and kind and good person. Mm -hmm. um, so I left that feeling like um, my life had to be different and I wanted it to be, I wanted to change. I wanted to grow. I wanted to sort of lift this fog. And so I found Kundalini yoga at the time. Um, it was the best thing that had ever happened to me. And in many ways still is. I have distanced myself from the community, not from the community, I shouldn't say that at all. I haven't distanced myself from the community, but from the leader, Yogi Bhajan, um, who recently, well, I mean, it's sort of been known for, I guess, for a while, um, but it's come to light that he was not really who he claimed to be in many ways. So, um, uh, there were there was abuse and there were survivors of abuse and I, I stand with them and I believe them. And yet I'm grateful for what I what it taught me in terms of opening up the world of yoga and meditation to me, which had, had seemed like it was for other people before I found Kundalini Yoga. It, it seemed like you had to earn that or just be already a spiritual person or, or it didn't seem like it, it, like I had an invitation to, to that world, but it then became very comfortable and felt very much like just home to me. And so those practices I'm, I'm just so grateful for learning, um, you know, some of the practices that were, that have been taught in that tradition are up for debate as to where they came from and um, but many of them are just tried and true ancient hatha yoga techniques for breathing and stretching mm -hmm. and moving your body that um, just learning those basics has been so so huge for me and knowing how to incorporate those into daily life and um, just using them as uh, a way to invigorate and relieve stress and then really wanting to teach that to other people was it when you look back now and you had this at one point i think you have the knowledge okay it has to change i think it wasn't the moment where we, he pointed at you but it was kind of already before for you was it kind of a what's actually actually the feeling you get then is it kind of a deception with yourself or is it just a feeling of there has to be much more than just this or what I'm living at the moment what, what, what kind of feeling is it that brings you then to this change 
Was yeah, I think, that, I think that's a, um, a really good way of putting it that it's, um, yeah, the feeling that there's more and that it's available and that it's um, the work would be involved in tapping into it, but that there was definitely um, a sort of almost an alternate reality that I could be living. Mm. Um, same me, same, same universe, but different circumstances, different feelings, different reactions and responses to things that happen. Um, there, there was that sense um, that, that I could kind of tap into that, but that it, but that it would be work. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of felt it was kind of an energy like drawing you to the yoga itself, because now you said, okay, the movement or yoga in general, or the type of yoga you were learning, it was kind of a, I think the beauty of yoga is finally you get very conscious of your body. And I think there's this separation It's clear we have always this outside kind of forces is a big word, but finally it's just the outside demanding to us and we are uh, kind of laying out ourselves to this outside without and then distancing ourselves to the, from the inside. And then yoga teaches us exactly the other thing that you have to feel on the inside to be ready for the outside. But for you, it was kind of, Is it the, was it the yoga practice itself that really brought you then back a little bit into a certain balance? Or was yoga just more a toolkit for you and um, it was kind of a, of, a, of a kind of a shift which you had within your mind towards your reality? Because finally, your life didn't change all that much it was just a perceptional shift or what was it exactly and you're absolutely right um if you were to look around the circumstances um and you had no way to gauge feelings or emotion mm -hmm. or, or, or emotional wellness yeah you would absolutely see no difference that's a really good point um for me i had actually always been into physical fitness and going to the gym, doing like boot camp, you know, doing like those kind of workouts. Mm -hmm. And I never wanted to do yoga. I wanted to do yoga because mm -hmm. it seemed cool. But every time I would try it, I hated it. And I felt like this is a waste of time. I'm not getting a workout. I can stretch anywhere. I don't need to do yoga for this. And At the gyms that I would go to, the people that took the yoga classes were the rudest. They were always the ones in the, um, the locker room that seemed to just be, you know, only, paying, only thinking of themselves and not really aware of, you know, the other people around them. So I remember often being just kind of turned off by yoga. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and um, I remember even at the gym once I just finished a um, It was kind of like a, a mix of a boot camp with a lot of stretching. And I was complaining about it in the locker room um, about it was just too slow paced for me. And some 
older woman who I didn't even know, and she just kind of said this and walked out, she said, um, well, that's exactly what you need. And then she just sort of walked out. And I was like, she, I, that thought of like, she's probably right. I don't know who that even is, but there's probably truth to that, you know? But what I realized is over the years from pretty early on, I have had this real desire for um, ritual, the ritual aspect of um, spirituality. And I thought that I would find something more ritualistic and spiritual in yoga classes and was always disappointed by. Um, I, and I didn't, not growing up, not knowing a lot about Eastern religion or Eastern spirituality or practices. I didn't even really know what chanting was, but I knew that that was something that I wanted to do. And if I ever heard it anywhere, I would be like that. I don't know what that is, but I want to do that. I want to be sitting in a room full of people meditating and chanting. But, and I grew up in Texas in in the 70s and 80s. And I'm sure that existed somewhere, but you, good luck. I wasn't surrounded by that sort of thing. So it was just a sense of it being there, but no way to access it. And um, so Kundalini was all of that in one class. It was a ritual magic, spirituality, a sermon, um, chanting, singing, moving, dancing, everything, breathing in 90 minutes. And that's one of the reasons people love it. It's very powerful and it, and it will kind of rock your world. It will open you up. Um, and there is some debate as to how much do you want to be opened up? Like, you know, is it safe to mm -hmm. be opened up that much? Um, I have no idea, but I do think it's definitely important to be, um, you know, aware of who you're practicing with and kind of making sure that you, you know, their background and mm -hmm. um, that you're aware because yeah, you're absolutely um, opening up doors and windows in the in the psyche and, and emotional pathways it's all there I think it's all very very um true when people talk about mm. the really big experiences that you can have doing certain kinds of yoga doing maybe, kundalini maybe you walk us a little bit through so it's a group class or is it only with your teacher and one one-on-one -on -one? best in a group and you can do it one-on-one -on -one. you can do it um you know small groups in fact i've taught a lot online one-on-one -on -one. and it's it's always powerful and effective but in a group it's truly incredible and uh that's the the typical class you know the more crowded the better that's kind of the the energy is a big part of it. So, and you, you talk about opening up, what do you mean exactly? So you talk about kind of personal issues or is it kind of you do together a certain way of 
chanting and then you open up and then you kind of show emotions which can be crying which can be whatever it is and this is a little bit uh, what you experience in these classes or is it really a exchange a talking uh, even describing certain situations you live through in your life well I think that so so really the what the opening up that I'm kind of referring to is your subconscious will actually mm. become sort of open in this process. So um, and it's this unique combination of um, again the breathing uh, that I mean and honestly when you look at this through a more sort of Western scientific lens, there are ways to explain this that are science based that are not spiritual or religious. In other words, um, you know, a lot of people will tell you, and I, and I tend to agree that if you have any, if you take these elements and put them in any setting, you will get a feeling, a reaction, mm -hmm. a response. People will have an experience. Mm -hmm. um, people have these experiences in, in, you know, churches, all different kinds of spiritual and religious settings. Mm -hmm. And it's really this combination of, um, you know, breathing, tapping into emotion, mm. um, movement, singing, being in the group, it all can kind of create this experience. And um, so the opening up part for, for a lot of people is, is the subconscious. And that's where I think, um, you know, if someone is interested in, in this, uh, they, a, a lot of the, the teachers and the practitioners refer to it as a technology because um, it's considered a sort of a way of rewiring some of the thought patterns, some of the, uh, just the different, um, just kind of the grooves in the, in the thought highways, you can kind of change them to be more positive, you know, let not use the, the ones that are negative as much and rebuild ones that are more positive and, um, so, you know, some of this is still very, it's very controversial. It's definitely not widely accepted. Um, and it's kind of up to the individual to decide if it's working. Um, and, and, and if you want it to work, if you, if you want to, you know, even believe that this is a, a technology or something that, that you can use. Um, again, for me, it's, it's been really, really powerful. And I, I hesitate again because of the allegations against Yoki Bhajan. I, I know that um, I feel that I'm um, responsible as a teacher, uh, but I'm no longer teaching it exactly the way that I learned it because of the sort of the, uh, the allegations. But there's so much to work with there that it, any honest ethical teacher who's been through the Kundalini teaching train, teacher training, I think, can take some of these really good gems. Just again, like standard breathing exercises, meditations, um, stretching yoga, warm ups, can take these um, that he didn't invent and apply them in a way that's, that gives you um, the really, you know, some of that, the results, you know, in terms of feeling better. 
I think uh, yeah, it's not a something we want to go too much into in the allegations because finally I want to keep it a little bit on you and your experience. Exactly. Yeah, I don't want to. That's definitely not a fun topic. <laughs> I know, exactly. but I feel it's it's a hot topic sort of right now. So I feel, I feel like I I just want to be on the record stating where I stand because um, teachers are really kind of having to take a stand and I want to be counted as one who stands with the survivors but yeah exactly no no need to go too deep into that for you then it was kind of this as, as far as I understand it's kind of the start of everything and then you got a little bit more into meditation hypnosis so kind of it was for you, it was a kind of an entry point in a certain way? Yes, absolutely. So I began to have this, a very strong Kundalini practice and I started teaching, doing individual um, sessions. And then I started volunteering at a center for homeless youth in transition in Hollywood. And um, so I was teaching as often as I could and just really feeling incredible and feeling the results and seeing the results in my students. And um, then I started to see that it felt like there could be more to um, what I do, what I could bring um, than just teaching the Kundalini, which is of course in and of itself, it's a whole, it's a whole universe, a whole practice. But I began to see ways that I could kind of incorporate more of what I know about um, just psychology and coaching and education and kind of create something that encompasses all of that. So I started a program that's uh, it's based in Canada called Yes Supply Method. And it's a coaching certification program that focuses on, I mean, it's based in NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming which is an amoral sort of practice. It's also controversial, like Kundalini Yoga, um, but it's honestly just, again, like a lot of things, the practitioner is, you know, has to be trusted. Um, and it just depends on how the practitioner uses it. Um, so it's based in NLP and then you, we're learning EFT, and hypnosis and just you know basic coaching techniques and i'm not sure if you're familiar with eft which mm. is tapping so it tapping is um it's really effective and i actually i like it a lot and it works for me even though the first few times you do it you feel or for me i felt like uh this doesn't feel like this would be doing anything but it's uh it's just going through meridian points um mm -hmm. And as you're talking about a problem, you're tapping on the meridian points. And so you're working through what's going on as you're tapping. And it's uh, a very, it's, there's a, quite a release that goes in. You can do it for as little as, or as long, and you can write your own script where you're talking, or you can even just listen and watch videos of someone mm -hmm. doing it and still get uh, the effects, even if you're not verbalizing so it's it's a flexible technique and mm -hmm. it's very effective people really like it 
So actually you talk about the problem and you tap certain points. That's right. You okay. go through like your, your, um, yeah, we could do one if you want. Okay, um, let's but, do one then. Uh, okay, okay. No, all right. I'm interested. <laughs> okay, great. All right, so first, before we start, I'll show you the basic um, points okay. that we're going to tap. So this is, and you're going to just use your, just two fingers here. Two fingers, yeah. And get really forceful, you know, with it, not hard, but just that yeah. you can really feel it. Yeah. And then this is the next point up here on top of your head. Okay. And then you're going to do just the side, like your cheekbones. Yeah. And then you're going to go under here, uh -huh. just this part right here. Uh -huh. And then your collarbone. Yeah. And then underarm. And then you can do wrist. Yeah. And then back to the karate chop. The same one? Okay. Yeah. And so let's go, let's find uh, just anything, anything you, um, off the top of your head, you just, if you can think of something and then we'll, we'll go a few rounds where we, yeah. we talk it through and then we'll end on some affirmations to sort of plug those in where you've left okay. off. So I would need something negative. Yeah, I mean, that's probably, yeah. Ooh, that's difficult. <laughs> Super fulfilled. Um, That's great for you. I'm so glad. Um, maybe. Okay, I have become obsessed with TikTok. Let's talk about the. Um, then what I do, I actually get up in the morning and I watch 20 minutes of TikTok. And this is somehow a waste of time. So maybe this could be a negative thing I'm experiencing. Wasting my time by hanging too much on social media. Okay, so let's take this to, let's go down another level with this and say what you're really experiencing is um, guilt, a little bit of guilt or shame yeah. that you're spending mm -hmm. time. Okay, so even though, you, you want to repeat after me, okay? Um, I'll do little phrases and then you'll, you'll repeat them, okay? So we'll say, okay. even though. Even though. I spend too much time on social media. I spend too much time on social media. I love and respect myself. I love and respect myself. And even though. And even though. I could be doing other things. I could be doing other things. Productive things. Productive things. Things that would add to my day. Things that would add to my day. I love and respect myself. I love and respect myself. I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people spend too much on time on social media. Spend too much time on social media because it's fun. Because it's fun. I like to have fun. I like to have fun. And maybe fun is overrated. Maybe fun is overrated. But maybe fun is underrated. Maybe fun is underrated. And maybe, maybe I deserve more fun. And maybe I deserve more fun. But maybe, but maybe I'm just telling myself this. I'm just telling myself this. To make myself feel better. To make myself feel better. 
about spending too much time on social media. About spending too much time on social media. But I am a busy and productive person. But I am a busy and productive person. And I do get my work done. And I do get my work done. Even if I'm on social media. Even when I'm on social media. So maybe. So maybe. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Maybe I trust myself. Maybe I trust myself. What if? What if? I have a deep inner sense. I have a deep inner sense. Of a balance. Of a balance. And I know. And I know. How to balance work and play. I know how to balance work and play. And maybe. And maybe. All I really need to do. All I really need to do. Is trust myself more. Is trust myself more. Because I deserve to have fun. Because I deserve to have fun. Even mindless, meaningless scrolling. Even mindless and meaningless scrolling. Is worth it if it's fun for me. <laughs> is worth it if it's fun for me. Because life should be fun. Because life should be fun. And now your left hand over your heart. Right hand over your left, close your eyes, take a big deep inhale and hold it at the top. And just feel good feelings, healing, positivity swirling all around you, all inside you, knowing that you have the answers and exhale through your nose. And when you're ready, just open your eyes. Thanks a lot. Uh, of course. <laughs> so yeah, actually, it, it's yeah, it's great. Yeah, you have a got have a great feeling after. Yeah, it's really so good. To, uh, it's nice these points. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, it's um. They say that that you have one point on you that's your most powerful point, mm -hmm. but that we don't necessarily know which mm -hmm. one it is. So you just kind of hit them all. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's a fun, easy stress reliever that you can mm -hmm. do anytime. Um, and really, as we've proven with this topic, it can be mm -hmm. any, it can kind mm -hmm. of be anything. Yeah, it can but be very just... small. It can be very big. But it's true. It's like, it's kind of, it's it's so fun it's so funny all the time you know when you also the the topics we talk about is often this 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 kind of maybe being too strict with yourself and then you put maybe so much pressure and all these things they help us to just say i'm okay yes yes yeah, yeah kind of like we're naturally regulating ourselves sometimes yeah. without even knowing it mm -hmm. Yeah. So thanks a lot. I feel definitely very much at ease now. Really after a massage. <laughs> you have uh, this feeling like this warm feeling in your body. It's nice. Yeah, it's good. So if you have never done it, try it out for yourself. It's really great. So these are things you do and things you have learned. If you could kind of say 
what is kind of the main thing you took out of this transition? Uh, finally, you have been a teacher. You're again a teacher, just a different mm -hmm. teacher. Um, for you personally, what to take out of this transition? Well, I mean, firstly, um, that transitions are <clears throat> so healthy and that uh, it's never too late to transition to do something new. Um, that now more than ever in this in this the society that with virtual everything at our fingertips, um, now more than ever, just any kind of transition is, I feel like possible for people. And that's, I think that's been a really big uh, takeaway for me is that it's kind of up to you, up to us. Um, kind of, as you just pointed out in a different context, we're sort of the ones that build these kind of fences around ourselves a lot of the time mm -hmm. and impose rules on ourselves that um, if we really, really examine and take a look at it, even consciously and subconsciously, we realize that um, so many things that we take on, we don't even know how they got there. We, we didn't necessarily willingly, you know, build boundaries for ourselves, but somehow they're there, but they can always be removed at any age, any time. Mm. It's like a little bit of kind of releasing yourself and giving yourself more yeah, kind of trusting yourself much more and just trust and let it flow to kind of get through whatever the transition then is. It can be small, big. It's kind of a, what I get out of you. It's like a lot of, yeah, believe in yourself and just, just let it flow and see uh, and you will be able to navigate it. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. What is kind of the thing you do at the moment the most? You mean so, sort of from a wellness, spiritual yeah. standpoint? Or yourself, just in like to center yourself, to be yourself. What's kind of the thing you do the most at the moment? The go-to thing for me is silent meditation and journaling. Um, and that changes, um, you know, sometimes physical movement is, is more important and I'll find myself feeling, you know, doing more yoga, stretching over the summer. I was maybe, you know, and it can be seasonal. I'm thinking, you know, I was really, really more active and just doing a lot more physical exercise. And right now I'm feeling just more, um, I guess a little more introspective and still stretching and moving, but more gentle and just um, kind of relearning if, if not learning for the first time, since it's a, such a challenge, silent meditation. And just really, because so much uh, Kundalini is, is very active, the meditations. Um, have you, do you practice meditation? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a yes. I take that as a as a hard yes then because 
that's all it is. That's all it ever can be. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, that Kundalini is very active. You know, you're, you, you've got a mudra. Usually you have a, a focal point, um, eyes closed or open or uh, half, you know, staring at the nose or just, there's a lot you're doing. You're like balancing, spinning mm. plates and doing, it's a lot. And um, that's, that was actually so helpful for me because um, it's actually easier than silent meditation. And so it, it at least gave me a sense of success that I could meditate or be a person that meditates because um, doing the Kundalini meditations, you, you really can get, can get it right, you know, and get the feeling of success. Um, so I'm just working on uh, just stillness and quieting the mind and that's hard. That's a lot harder than singing and chanting and breathing and focusing on my third eye. And mm. it's a lot harder. <laughs> so yeah, that's actually brings us a little bit to the main topic. Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about tea. So you were writing me about that you ordered the combination of the teapot and the gyokuro. <laughs> Um, maybe before we go already into the tea itself is you were drinking a lot of coffee and then did you stop? Did you just integrate tea or what was the shift there? Um, I was drinking a lot of coffee, espresso, just black and mm. lattes <clears throat> all day and for years, except during my pregnancies and I think I went a few years in my 20s where I was drinking Earl Grey um, a lot. And I wasn't drinking coffee, just Earl Grey. But went back to coffee and really espresso, just muddy, dark, dark espresso. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling uh, over the years, I began to notice just, you know, I know people drink coffee for energy, but I was feeling like, too much energy, scattered energy. You know, I wasn't able to sort of use the energy that the coffee was giving me at a certain point. And um, so I gave it up because I, and I also took in an epigenetics test, which sort of confirmed that I'm not really compatible um, with coffee, but that green tea and matcha actually have um, elements that are really good and sort of synthesize some of the the things that coffee kind of aggravated so I was not into matcha before that and I was only I was into green tea but just kind of casually you know like if if it was around or someone offered it but I wasn't really seeking it out um but as soon as I had cut out coffee I had to find a substitute really fast and so I just kind of really cold turkey just decided this is my new drink. This is my new morning beverage. And I just jumped in and my, it was such a shock to my system. And even my children were like, what is that smell? What are you making? Cause I would just like pour it and they'd be sitting there at the counter. And I mean, they were like, cause it's so earthy and grassy. And they were like, whoa, what is that? So and, you started um, and first I, with matcha or was it green tea? 
with matcha, with a matcha. powdered okay. matcha. Yes. And then I was putting different, I was always making a latte out of it um, from the beginning. So, because I just tried it straight and I was like, it's got to be creamy. I'm just going to have to go with latte, make a latte. So I immediately just started making um, matcha lattes, but I was forcing myself to drink it in the beginning because, and I know myself, like, I know that I can sort of make myself like something. I guess we can all do that, but we don't all do that. But I decided like, I'm going to like this and make myself like this. And eventually, and it took only a couple of weeks until I was just craving it. And so now I, I crave the taste and I just love it. It's, but it definitely didn't start out that way. So then uh, you kind of, okay, then the first steps were with the latte. And when did you kind of expand to more leaf tea? Because now you're drinking a green tea. And I have to say, it's quite a strong green tea. It has quite a strong flavor, unusual flavor also for people who get first in green tea. Um, so it's kind of a gradual process. And when then at the beginning was lattes and then kind of you start to drink kind of leaf teas or tea bags first. How, how was it there a little bit the transition into a less creamy world? Yes. Well, it started too when I realized that the combination of the powdered matcha and the homemade, I've, so I've been making my own hazelnut milk for mm. the lattes. Oh, and wow. the combination of the two, though, it, it can be a, a little gritty at the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, so I just was really kind of rethinking the whole program then, you know, because it's a lot of effort for uh, to be like at the end of, of the cup. So then I started thinking maybe if I, maybe I can't transition to straight matcha with no milk, but I think I can do a leaf tea with no milk and still feel like I'm having a nice hot beverage in the morning mm -hmm. that's, not creamy, but still is going to be, you know, satisfying. Um, so I started, yeah, this kind of hunt for just, you know, what's going to be good. And again, it's like just in the dark, you, you don't, I mean, I have no, nothing to compare it to, except that I know that I like jasmine tea. I never buy it, but if it's served, I always love it. But again, I don't know. I, but one of the reasons I never buy it is whenever, if you see it, even at a good supermarket, like even at Erewhon or Whole Foods, I don't trust it. It doesn't look like it's going to be worth it, you know? And so I just bypass it altogether. So that's kind of been this quest is where, where am I going to find, you know, something really good that's going to take the place and give me this experience mm. that's going to be worth, you know, waking up to in the morning? Because I really don't uh, eat a lot in the morning. It's got to be beverages. So I can't, it's really important that, that it's like really, really good. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a quest for sure. 
And uh, where did you where did you buy your first leaf green tea? I assume this is not the first green tea or leaf green tea you drink. No, there was. So I went to. There's a place called Dragon Herbs, which is a Chinese herb store, yeah. um, not far from where I live. And um, so I got a few different tea. I got a, a chrysanthemum tea. I got um, another another kind of blend. I can't remember. This was a few months ago. And then and I got a green tea. And those were all. The chrysanthemum tea was very, very bitter. And I do like a bitter mm -hmm. beverages in general, but it was um, exceptionally bitter. So I, I just end up putting a lot of honey and I prefer to have something that doesn't require that much sweetness to cut, you know, mm -hmm. the bitterness. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I admit to having ordered a couple of different Amazon brands to try over the, mm -hmm. over COVID, um, the last few months, I've just like, you know, hit the buy button to try it out. Um, yeah. And again, the one, um, recently that I got, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not one, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a pretty large bag, um, And not bad, but it's, it is fascinating how different they can taste mm. one from the other. Just really different, really, really different. Yeah, that's a little bit also what we experience. Uh, green tea is not equal green tea. It's like often people think like, ah, you drink a green tea. And then you're like, okay, that's like that taste. But it can vary so much from one green tea to the other, so it's it's quite impressive. Uh, what kind of uh, different tastes you really can get out of a green tea? So you tried this now for the very first time, the Gyokuro. <clears throat> yes, yes. And how do you like it? I love it. It's. It reminds me a little bit of what I like about jasmine tea, but mm -hmm. it definitely doesn't taste like jasmine tea. It tastes mm -hmm. like green tea. Mm -hmm. um, but, and I don't know the names of the notes, but what would, what would you say is that note that I'm tasting that reminds me of jasmine? Because it's very, I mean, I don't mm -hmm. know that it's flowery, but it's, And it's not mm -hmm. sweet, but it's really mellow and mild. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it's um, what's pretty strong. The note that is pretty strong with Gyokuro is the umami note. This is a little bit the savory sweet note, which you get a lot from the tea. But I agree with you. This one here is coming uh, from uh, the Yabukita Varazzo. On the one hand, you have a little bit of the of the green, maybe a little bit of a spinachy edamame side, but in the end, you get a lot of sweeter notes. I get a little bit of banana peel, but then you also have this floral note mixing in. And I think this mm -hmm. is what you were talking about when you were saying, okay, it drags me or it brings me a little bit into the direction of a jasmine tea. It's mm -hmm. often this a little bit lighter, floral notes which mix in 
with a longer shaded green tea, which can become very mellow because the stringency actually goes, it doesn't go out, but it's really much suppressed. So you have much more space for the sweeter notes and for the more floral notes. And then you exactly get these different more mellow taste profiles out of the green tea. That's the beauty when you have a sh shaded green tea, um, when you go uh, into Sencha, which is kind of the typical Japanese green tea, there you really have um, the Kabuse Sencha. So the Kabuse is actually the nylon net they put over the plants to shade them, to make them sweeter. Mm. Or uh, Yokuro is the longest shaded leaf tea. It's a, it's a similar process as matcha when the matcha is higher quality, so ceremonial grade, then you often get a long shaded green tea and that's actually what's happening. And then you're exactly landing in this land where you say, okay, it reminds me a little bit of a jasmine tea. It brings in these floral notes, these sweet notes, uh, sugary notes, even kind of sweeter notes without being perfumed. Mm-hmm. And I really tasted the that spinach taste when you said mm -hmm. that. Yabukita mm -hmm. is known for a very broad taste spectrum. So that's, Yabukita mm -hmm. is the one that's most consumed in Japan and uh, also most produced to be fair because the farmers, they don't have a big, um, it's not very difficult to grow it because it's quite frost resistant. So for them, it solves the problem. But the consumer in Japan, they like it because it's very broad, because you have a little bit of spinachy, you have the sweetness, you have the floral notes. So uh, you even have a slight astringency, you get it a little bit more in the second brewing, but it's very, very smooth still. And that's what the consumer in Japan like a lot about the abukita that you, you get very broad and this kind of slight astringent note is liked because it kind of gives the tea more of its health side as well. That I'm drinking something healthy, healthy, knowing it's slightly astringent. So that's also mm -hmm. a reason why Yabukita is very, very liked by, by the people. So it sounds like doing second infusions mm -hmm. is okay. That I, I have wondered about that from a purist standpoint. That's mm -hmm. You can it's a must. That. It's a must. Oh, it's yeah. a must. You have to go. <laughs> you have to go for a second and a third one because you often go uh, with this one. You can even go to four brewings and you really have a similar or kind of the same taste experience in, in terms of strength of the taste. So you mm -hmm. definitely have to go over several steepings. And that's the beauty of high quality green tea, even though the price when you look at uh, this tea bag, it's $35 for 100 gram. It's quite a high amount for 100 gram, but knowing that you, with each five gram, you can do up to four cups of tea, mm -hmm. brings you up to 100 cups, brings the cup down to 30 cents, 35 cents, which is then quite close to a normal tea bag, especially when you go for a little bit of a higher price tea bag, you are directly there or even above. So. It is very important that you take out all uh, the brewings. I would really go up to four. And with each brewing, you get new tastes, new taste mm -hmm. profiles also. And you get all the beauty of the tea, giving you all the nutrients which are in the leaves. So it's very important to get uh, the tea over several steepings. 
So, and it sounds like that's really a characteristic of high-end teas and quality teas that mm -hmm. just out of a box in a bag, mm -hmm. those are designed for just one infusion mm -hmm. and tossing, yeah, they are. right? <clears throat> so that, they are also flavored. So the flavors, they often go out in the first brewing with mm -hmm. the tea bags. And if you have a naturally grown tea, uh, which is really naturally developing its taste profile, you can really brew it over. Maybe it's even a test if you have high quality tea at home or not. Right. You try mm -hmm. several brewings and if several brewings are possible and the taste stays at a similar level, then you have a higher quality leaf tea. And uh, if it loses after the first steeping already, it's flavored, then you know, okay. It's mm -hmm. artificial, artificially flavored. Mm. You know, one of the things I know, I know that I personally do is um and i think it's kind of common to um bring together self-care and mm -hmm. ritual and think of like cacao ceremonies and tea ceremonies as self-care but in japan is that the case or is it more spiritual ceremonial and and what is the the history of that is it sort of is it not religious at all is it or is it Shinto or what sort of, how did that become a, such a main tradition? Actually, it's the Japanese culture. They brought in the Zen into the tea culture or they combined the tea culture and the Zen because originally green tea, especially green tea is or the birthplace of green tea is China. Mm -hmm. And um in the early years, so about 500, 600 after Christ, mm -hmm. um, often Japanese monks, they went to China to study the Zen belief or to the Zen school. And what they did, and this is uh, said that around the eighth uh, century after Christ, um, people started to bring back tea plants. And then um, it was mostly the monasteries which uh, planted tea plants uh, in the area of Kyoto in the beginning. And that's why also the tea has such a strong link also to the Zen Buddhism and uh, spirituality in general. And even when you go nowadays to uh, monasteries, they often they drink tea or matcha green tea as well just before they do long hours of meditation. So it is or has always been seen as a medicinal drink and uh, helping you uh, to fight off also flus and um, in general, just giving you a stronger body itself. And um, originally, actually, the matcha way of kind of powdered tea was the original way how they brew tea so the leaf tea itself only came up in the 18th century um, this is the rolling method so kind of when they roll the tea they actually break the tea leaves and that's how yeah. the tea leaves give them the flavor to the water and before they didn't know how to do it so they just powdered the tea and that's why matcha is actually the original form of tea oh. in japan and then when they found out about this rolling technique, which again came from China, and then actually the whole boom about the leaf tea came up. And nowadays around uh, yeah, 95% in Japan is consumed as leaf tea and only 5% is matcha. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Wow. Yeah. So this is a little bit how it came up. And that's why you have a strong link between spirituality and tea, tea houses. Um, also, when you, uh, for example, when you go into a tea house, often you have a small entrance. And when you go to a tea ceremony, so somebody is invited, actually the entrance is very low and you have to crawl actually into the house. And uh, the kind of the tea house is a space or a place of neutrality, of kind of just um, being present to each other. And even the emperor has to go down on his knees to enter the tea house. So it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a place where everybody's equal and where they finally celebrate a moment of two people meeting on the same level because also the emperor has to crawl to get into the tea house. And then often when you do a tea ceremony, it's just a celebration of the moment of somebody serving somebody else with the tea and the celebration of the moment of enjoying a cup of tea together. I've heard that. Um, is it true that it's um, that you're you're not supposed to pour your own tea in a tea ceremony? You're supposed to pour someone else's. Um, it is actually so. Normally, you serve the tea. So somebody serves the tea to somebody else. So often, you have the person that is invited and the person that invites, and the person that invites actually serves the tea to you. So you don't do it yourself. So it's kind of right. the tradition that I serve the tea to you. Right. So actually, I should serve you the tea. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So how often do you go to Japan? Um, we try to go um, two times a year. Uh, 2020 was zero times a year, unfortunately. Yeah, but I think it was the same issue for everybody. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's really what we try to do is uh, to go at least once. So I go at least once. Mm -hmm. uh, Will, who does uh, the main part of our social media, he goes twice. Yeah. Normally, and then we go everywhere we can and everywhere uh, we can visit farmers. Because for us, uh, it's super important to have the proximity to the farmers themselves, to small family farms. And that's what we try to promote, finally, uh, small organic farms or organic mm -hmm. in general, yeah. It's great. Makes yeah. such a difference. Yes, yes. Uh, that's the beauty <laughs> of our age. You know, you can um, really give access, on the one hand, people to people teas they would never find in the US in this way. And on the other hand, you can give small farmers really the platform that you can present themselves and see and show what they do and how they curate the tea. And uh, for us, it's just always an amazing experience to get uh, to know all these people and uh, to see the hard work that's also put into growing tea. It's a, still a very, very tough business. And um, it's very hard uh, for the elder generation also to motivate the younger generation because nowadays everybody wants to be a YouTube star and <laughs> TikTok <laughs> famous <laughs> on Instagram. And um, yeah, the attractivity of becoming a farmer 
is uh, also tough as well as, I don't know, in the US uh, or in Europe when farmers try to give over the farm to the, the youngsters, it's hard to keep them in. And it's the same, but it's just the dedication often and, and the conviction also, because if you're an organic farmer in Japan, you're a little bit off the normal track because um, organic farming itself is not very known and not even searched by the Japanese people. It's more something we in the West, we appreciate and we like. We want to have organic things because the, uh -huh. here the... I think the consciousness about organic and non-organic is much higher than in Japan. So it was really tough sometimes for, for them to start. So are they just not using, are they using a lot of pesticides or are they using other farming practices that are not maybe organic by our standards, but they are not maybe necessarily using really no, harmful pesticides? Most, most, most uh, green tea fields are grown uh, with pesticides. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we saw ourselves, we saw once uh, somebody, then they have the mask on, you know, you have this white suit, like everything is uh -huh. just spraying whatever it is on the, on the tea plants. Yeah, that's how it is. Because finally, what you have more is that you have one, harvest more if you do it uh, with pesticides mm -hmm. so you can there's in kind of in july there's the strong bug season and you can just uh, get rid of the bugs if you spray the tea plants but on the other hand the tea plant itself is much stronger when it's grown organically and mm -hmm. has much more nutrients as well so um, this is something I personally also like about the fact that something is grown organically. It really has to take all its force from the soil and is not protected from the outside. So the plant itself is stronger as well. And mm -hmm. the tea leaves in themselves are stronger and therefore they have more nutrients as well. So this is what absolutely. I personally like a lot about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then eventually they will have to regenerate that soil that they're spraying they'll have mm -hmm. to pay for that at some, I mean, mm -hmm. that's going to have to regenerate one way or the other. So mm -hmm. it's either doing it a little bit at a time or, you yeah. know, in the future, having unusable farm fields. Exactly, like, yeah, the, 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 the soil is much harder. The plant is much, uh, much harder time to absorb nutrients from the soil because it's not so loose. Um, it's quite impressive, yeah. Once you stand on an organic green fee, green tea field and a non-organic, it's just two different worlds. One is just wow. black earth, nothing growing, just a tea plant. And when you're on the organic field, it's like you have flies flying around, you have grass everywhere. It's just it's two different worlds. It's pretty impressive. Wow. Very and interesting. As a consumer, when you have non-organic uh, tea you cannot eat the tea leaves but this one here you oh, can eat right. so actually when you had your tea session you can even take a little bit of soy sauce or a little bit of vinegar put it over the leaves and you eat it or you mix it in really? into the sides. that's what you also can do i'm gonna try that yeah you have to it's great it's actually pretty nice yeah wow i like it a lot I even uh, did once a video where I uh, where I show how to eat them, how to prepare them. It's super easy. Just a little bit of soy sauce or a little bit of rice vinegar or vinegar itself. And uh, then you have a nice salad. 
which you can eat. That sounds so good. I have both of those. So I'm definitely going to try that. Yeah. Now you have a pack, so you can uh, try out everything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm planning on it. Good. Yeah, it's so, good yeah, it's really good. Mm. Really, really good. And the bitterness never becomes too much, you know, I mean, because now mine has been sitting for a while and mm -hmm. it's still, still very, mm -hmm. um, just mellow, mild. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. yeah. That's thanks to the amino acids, to the theanine, which is inside. Mm -hmm. And it's also good for your concentration because it can break through your blood brain barrier. So that's what triggers the alpha brain waves, what you get from meditation. You get it also from um, from uh, the tea itself, yeah. From Japanese green tea or green tea itself has this uh, this positive side. And when you drink shaded green tea, you even have a higher concentration of theanine. So it's a great tea. When you want to do a meditation session, drink it before the meditation session, and this will help you to concentrate even better. During and as you're saying, the monks knew this. The monks exactly. have been doing this all along. That's yeah. so interesting. <laughs> so you can try it out and uh, see let me know how it is and if it helps you to have a better meditation session actually i will and i know a lot of people take that as a supplement and i'm sure it's so much better to drink it than yeah, to yeah. take a yeah, i'm always surprised when i see the theanine supplement yeah. and i was like yeah. Yeah, okay you can also enjoy a nice cup of greens in the morning <laughs> exactly i'm sure it's more effective yeah I don't know. Uh, sometimes these uh, supplements are quite elaborated and they're quite professional. But finally, what they say is a good doses. When you drink just five grams of this tea, you get exactly that doses. So the perfect amount. Oh yeah. wow! You're perfect. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> good. So thanks a lot, Amy, huh, for this chat. Thank it was, you. Uh, it was amazing to have you. And then uh, I wish you all the best. And as always, if you have a question, just uh, get uh, connect with us. And uh, maybe we have uh, one day another session. Who knows? That sounds great. Thank you so okay. much. This has been a real pleasure. Thanks a lot. Take right, care. Uh, you. Have a great day. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thanks.